to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Starr. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with the nerd at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. 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 Welcome back to the board game community show. Today I am doing another review episode and I am happy to have a, another person from Board Game Hot Takes on for my next review. We've got Chris. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great, Riley. Thanks for having me on. It's like there's so many of us on that show. You could just have a rotating, you know, cast of Board Game Hot Takes people coming on and you'd never have to find another guest. It's true. And this is just my way of, you know, eventually if I have all of you on again and whatnot, it'll feel like I'm a part of your podcast. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be so bored of talking to us. <laughs> never no 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 except for uh tim i'm sick of that guy <laughs> i'm gonna tell him you said that oh i'm leaving that in here oh good, sure. good good <laughs> good he, need, no, no. he needs to hear that we do the streams all the time uh you know we get we get the monthly streams in he's been on the show a lot more than any of i think he's one of my most had on guests now that i think about it probably yeah i mean he, i know he's been on a bunch with you guys and he actually had this thing recently because he normally, when we do our episodes, he'll throw in uh, a comment or two from a review. And once in a while, someone will make a comment about one of us specifically. And so he's keeping track. He's keeping score now. Like who is actually getting the most positive and negative comments in the in the reviews? So I say go team Chris. Yeah, me too, right? <laughs> Very sel selfishly. <laughs> I need to go in there and update my reviews. <laughs> Hey, speaking of um, your other episodes, I just wanted to say that I recently listened to your Connor Alexander episode, and it's my new favorite. I've, I enjoy so many of your episodes, and that one I loved. Since I've started gaming, I've really been looking at it going, how come we're not hearing more Native American stories? I mean, we keep hearing the same doggone stories over and over and over again. Ancient Greece, ancient Rome, pre-industrial Europe, blah, 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 blah. I'm so tired of hearing those. And so having new voices coming into the hobby is so exciting. I back Coyote and Crow, or Coyote and Crow, as, as Riley would say. <laughs> even though I'm not an RPG, or I don't even play RPGs, but I thought it was such a cool project that I backed it. And I was thrilled on your episode to hear that he's actually going to be doing a tabletop board game. I've been hoping for that, and it sounds like it's going to come true. So exciting. Yeah. He, I think he just the other day announced it on Twitter, like with the with the image and everything, saying more oh. details coming soon. So, oh, nice! I'll have to check that out. I had not seen it, but that's that is very exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited too. I love what he's doing. I love that he's kind of he's bringing more indigenous people's voices out uh, mm -hmm. and into the tabletop world. He's providing an an in for so many people, and I think it's incredible. I've I love it. Yeah. So excited. So, well, thank you. Thank you for the compliment, too. I know, I think we texted about this, but I was so nervous because he's he's such a cool person and I really <laughs> respect what he did uh, does. And 
it just I feel like it came through where like I was a little more scatterbrained than I normally am. But no, but I'd be excited, too, if I was if I was doing that. So I can yeah. totally understand. Should we jump into this review? Let's do it. Let's do it. Today, Chris and I are going to be talking about Final Girl. For me, it'll specifically be my experience with Carnage at the Carnival, which is one of the features. But we'll get into that in just a minute. So it's a designed by Evan Derrick and AJ Porfirio. Art by Tyler Johnson and Roland McDonald. And published by Van Ryder Games and Lucky Duck Games. Don't you hate it when you head off for a fun getaway to your cabin in the woods only to be ruined by a killer with a knife? Chances are you're not going to survive, but who knows? Maybe you will be the final girl that survives your getaway turned horror flick. In Final Girl, you play as the protagonist in a classic horror feature. The core box comes with components and a player board that are used universally in conjunction with any of the features. The features are bought separately and give you the opportunity to go up against unique killers in classic horror film genres or locations like a summer camp, haunted house, carnival, and more. Play your cards, manage your hand and resources, collect items, save bystanders, and fight back against the villain while they move about and wreak havoc throughout the map, increasing in strength and terror as they kill bystanders and try to take you out. Will you be the final girl? I want to be the final girl. You would? I want to be the final girl. Come on. Bring Please. it on. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into this one, Riley, there's actually a little bit of a backstory that I want everybody to know. A couple things happened here that worked out, I think, beautifully. For one, it was a couple months ago, I think around Thanksgiving, that on Board Game Hot Takes, we did an episode where we talked about theme integrated into board games and mechanics and places where we thought it was particularly exciting. And this is a game that I had listed, even though I'd never played it before, because I just found the idea behind this game so interesting and fun that I really wanted to dig into it. And then you got the game, and... You had, I think, a less than stellar experience with it. And so you passed it along to me. I'll pause there for a second. Say, did anything you want to add to the, the experience you had before you decided to throw this thing to the wind? I know you were excited about it. So I kept trying to get it to the table again and again. And every time I tried, I just thought I would rather play this solo. I would rather play this solo. I realized I'm never going to go back to this game. I might as well ship it off. You know, I might as well pass it on to somebody who will hopefully like it more than me. And tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, and maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I'm not sure. But I will say that when you sent it to me, first of all, you know, your loss is my gain. I ended up getting this game, which is great. And I got one of the, or you sent to me one of the episodes. It was called uh, Carnage at the Carnival. The evil character was, his name is Geppetto. He's like an evil puppet master. So I got the first play with that episode and then subsequently got Hans the Butcher and the Happy Trails Horror, which is kind of a ripoff on the Friday the 13th theme. So a little spoiler alert there that I was at least interested enough that I bought another episode of it. Not only did you buy that, but you bought more. Uh, I bought the miniatures. Yes, I did. That's you know, <laughs> okay, a little bit more of a spoiler alert there, I guess. Which I totally get. We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, let, let's jump into the theme first. I love the theme of this, right? It's a solo game. You're going up against the big, scary monster, whatever it is, the villain. And that changes. I like that they leaned into, you know, this is a horror feature. You are 
playing through a classic movie type scenario. I think that a lot of that theme comes through very strongly through the art and the gameplay and everything in it. What are your thoughts on the theme? Well, the theme is what reeled me in. I mean, I was hook, line and sinker. I saw the theme and I loved it. I grew up on the movies that these games are based on. And just to go back to kind of the episode aspect of this game, like you said, it comes with a base box, but the base box you can't actually play. There is no base game in that sense. It gives you uh, some basic player components that you use that are going to be the same for every game that you play. But then and to actually play, you have to buy a scenario. And I think there's one, two, three, four, five of them currently that are out. And there's a subsequent, like a season two on Kickstarter that hasn't delivered yet, but added a few more episodes. In every one of them is, I say ripoff, but you know, I say, lo- I say that lovingly. They're not really ripoffs. They're actually delightful uh, variations on some really well-known horror themes. Like you have this one called Dr. Fright, which is obviously Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street. And then you have Hans the Butcher, who is clearly this guy in a mask. He's from Friday the 13th. There's a poltergeist one, which is, of course, poltergeist. And then I think in the new series that hasn't come out yet, they've got a few more ones that are going to look really familiar to horror fans. There's one called the Evil Morph, which is basically aliens. And it's funny because the characters that they put in these things actually look so much like the originals. I can't believe they actually haven't had any copyright infringement lawsuits. But there's one of the organisms stationed at 2891 that's a ripoff of the thing. Wingard Cottage and the Intruders, which is kind of, um, what's that one with the people that attack the house? And, oh, I'm blanking on the name of the movie now. The, it's the, the something. The Purge. Yeah, we're like the, the home intruder kind of theme. So all of these, all of these feature films are going to look so familiar to horror fans. Are, were you a horror fan or are you a horror fan generally? Not particularly. I do like certain ones. I don't love the demonic ones, but my wife is not a fan at all. And so since I've been married the last nine years, I've almost watched no horror movies. On occasion, I do. I've I've snuck in some of Jordan Peele's, right? And she actually mm-hmm. liked that. Uh, which was the first one? Get Out. Get Out, yeah. Get Such Out was phenomenal. Movie. Yeah. And she, I'm trying right now to convince her to watch Nope. Ah. Uh. I knew she wouldn't like us, though that was amazing as well. But so I like the genre. I wish that I got to consume it more. Well, this is one way to do it. And and again, if if somebody is a horror fan, just that alone, I think, is a huge sell for this game. So but but I don't want to I don't want to go too far into the mechanisms in the gameplay. But as far as the theme goes, you couldn't have found something that was more appealing to me. And the way that's presented here, I think, is pretty nice which we'll get into aesthetic, all that later. But let's talk about the mechanisms. I kind of described that in the overview, right? Of you've got your hand, your hand of cards, and then you play them and they kind of have a double use. It's been months since I've played this. So <laughs> I am totally rusty. Why do, can you give a little refresher on that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So like you said, there are multi-use cards. Basically, each card you can use either to do the thing that's on the card or you can use the card as currency to pay for an action on a separate card, or you can use cards to buy cards. There's a whole bunch of things you can do, which is actually similar to a thing I've seen a lot in games popping up recently. And I always think it's fun because I like having that choice to make like, a, do I want to use this card for the thing that's on it? Or is it more important that I do this other thing that's going to cost me a card? 
It's actually, to compare it to another horror game, Nemesis does something very similar. But you start out with this base deck, I think it's of six cards, that you, you do some basic, kind of weak moves like walk, or I don't think you would even search. I think you, you have a walk, you have a short rest, a, it's even called weak attack, it takes off like one damage. These are the base cards you start with, and then every round you have what's called, you call it time. Basically, the theory is that the more clear-minded you are, the more things you can get done as you're being attacked by the villain or trying to save victims or what have you. And so this currency of time, you use up as you use your cards. And at the end of each round, when you're done playing your actions, you can use any leftover time that you have to buy more advanced actions. So that's where that lets you get into like the, the stronger attacks or being able to search for items or things like that. And so if you have those cards, you can use them for the next round. But once they're used, they go back to the bank. So every round, you're trying to save a little bit of time so that you can buy good cards for the next round. And there's where a lot of the strategy comes in. But that's the basic card play. You're also trying to move around this board where there are a bunch of victims, which strikes me as the one thing that was a little bit non-thematic, because if you're the final girl, you're not really the final girl because there's about 10 different other victims on the board. So you're hopefully, hopefully trying to save them. But you're moving around this map, ushering these other victims to safety, trying to get away from the killer or trying to get up into the killer's face so you can kill them. Basically, between those two things, you're trying to save as many people as you can, which gives you power ups before they get killed by the murderer, which gives them power ups. And then there comes to be a final showdown at some point when probably all of the victims have either been saved or killed. And then there's a showdown where you're fighting against the killer. At that point, it just gets crazy. Does it, though? All right. This is where we get into <laughs> some of my problems. Okay. <laughs> Let's dive in a little bit about Carnage at the Carnival specifically. So I found this is how I played it. You know, first off, very first thing I did, I recognized the importance of saving a couple of victims so that I could flip my final girl over and bring her to her final form, right? Like, that's her stronger side gives me more health or or I don't I don't exactly remember. like it gives me another ability or something with yep. it too. additional yeah. ability usually I think. Yeah. And so I thought I'm going to do that ASAP. So I did that. And then I thought maybe I'll try searching. But searching felt like a waste to me when I could just go toe to toe with the bad guy and knock him like I just kept hitting him and hitting him and then I could move away and not get hit and. I found myself those weak cards. I found a loop where I could you know, save some of those weak cards, use one or two of them, and then buy two of the advanced cards, use those the next round. They get exhausted, so I can't buy them yet. Next round, I can buy them again. So like, I just had to kind of do this, go away from the murderer, wait until I have those strong cards again the next round, and then come back to the murderer and attack him. And it just kept going in that loop. I didn't change anything, and I won very easily. Ah, interesting. That's a fair um, complaint. I did not experience that, but it's possible that I just didn't play that way. I didn't even try to go in. I tried to build up and get stronger and get the bigger cards. But So maybe if I had done that, I also would have had the same problem. I also think that may be a weakness of that particular episode, because Geppetto, the bad guy in that particular episode, there's kind of two things happening. And this is actually a, a mechanism we hadn't talked about. But there is a basic action for each killer and that each round you go through a series of steps where first you take all of your actions, then you buy your cards for the next round, then the killer takes an action. 
And Geppetto's action almost never included movement. And so they, he couldn't really come after you, but he had these little puppets that would go out and they could come after you, but they didn't attack you. So it was strange. Another in the Hans episode, I think, if I'm remembering right, every move he potentially moves and attacks. And that wasn't the case with Geppetto. So you had you know, him not moving, but he can attack you. So if you don't stay in the same spot with him, you don't have to worry about it. Or he sends out his little puppets where they may get to you, but they're not necessarily going to attack you. And then after that point, you go through the, you take a terror card and a terror card gets played. And that's kind of like an event. And it gives potentially additional actions to the villains on the board. And that seems to be where they rely more heavily on things like the bigger movements and bigger attacks and whatnot. But I found, like you did, at some points that with Geppetto, that didn't really happen too much. And so I was kind of able to run around and do whatever I wanted to do and then and then avoid getting killed. Now, I also found that when I finally did close with them at the end, usually I would get killed. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe I was just playing it wrong. Yeah, definitely. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no such thing. Uh, that is interesting. So for me, when the showdown happened, the showdown is at a certain point, once you run out of those tarot cards, you mm-hmm. flip over this showdown card and it's like his final form, right? It's that big, scary do or die. It's supposed to be very climactic. Mm-hmm. And for me, that one, it got rid of him respawning his puppets. So you summon up all of his puppets. And so they're all on the board. Oh, that seems scary. But I'm strong enough at that point that I could wipe almost all of them out in one attack, at least. Hmm. And or, you know, in one turn. Yeah. And so then I wiped them out and then I spent probably five, 10 minutes looking through the rules and thinking this can't be right because now they're just gone and I can do whatever I want. Like (laughs) without his puppets, he's totally useless. And so I'm just going through the motions of like, all right, I'm just going to play this out until he's dead, I guess. I I don't know if it felt very empty to me at the end and that I felt like that showdown should have been bigger. I maybe. Maybe I misinterpreted something there, but it didn't feel like it. I'm not sure you did. This actually gets me to one of the things that was a complaint of mine is that even though I got killed, so I didn't have the easy wins like you did, I felt like there were some things that didn't go quite the way they were supposed to or quite the way the designers would want them to. So you were talking about running out of terror cards. I never once ran out of terror cards. And I also played one game with the flip side of the player board. They have what's called the extreme terror mode. It's got this blood all over it. It's their side of the player board. And what it does is it basically tightens up your ability to buy cards. And it it tightens up this, there's a terror track that I didn't mention, but it's the thing that identifies how many dice you're going to roll, which is actually now that I think about it, another thing I hadn't really talked about. Whenever you take an action off of one of these cards, you don't just play the card. You also have to roll dice and how many dice you get to roll is a function of the terror track. And so the more dice you have, the more opportunity you have to have successes. And frequently, if you have failures, you're going to get some negative act, negative uh, let's say benefit, a negative effect instead of actually getting to do what you wanted to do. And so the, t- the extreme terror version tightens it up so you're a lot of time rolling one die, and that's kind of a bummer. Even with that, even with the harder version of the game, I never once ran out of terror cards. In fact, I don't think that I even ever got close to running out of terror cards. Either I won through, you know, a bunch of different play, you know, doing a bunch of different things, or I ended up getting killed. 
but I never got close to the point where you get to that final climax. And that was a little bit of a complaint that I had. That is really interesting. I'm glad, you know, that that seemed to go that way. Do you, when you play, do you go for items? Do you try and power up a little bit more before you go and attack? I didn't the first game. And that's when I realized that maybe the the items would actually be valuable because there are some good things in there that you can get. So you can get weapons that might increase your attack level so that you don't have to keep relying on big, heavy attack cards to to make your attacks. You can have a weapon that you know enhances that. I'm trying to remember what else there was in there, but there were things that might have provided defensive opportunities or... Yeah, there, there was a bunch of different things that would create, you know, do all the kind of things you'd expect an item card in this game to do. Defend you, create more attack, you know, get at, get your, get you out of the way of attacks or get you out of the way of the, the villains. But I thought they were useful. I also found them to be kind of entertaining. So possibly part of this, I was just doing the thing that seemed entertaining to me rather than just doing the thing that was maybe the most logical gameplay wise. Yeah, which is probably how you should play it because <laughs> you're witnessing this horror film. You want to be entertained. With right. that, with Geppetto, I do remember this. Each pile, you've got three piles, right? For the locations that you can search at. Yeah. And each one yeah. of those has a trap that you had to shuffle in at the beginning. Yes. And I thought that was kind of interesting, but also maybe that's what kind of dampened my experience because I ended up getting one trap and then i thought all right well that wasn't too big of a deal but the other two traps are probably worse so i'm i'm probably not going to search and so i I didn't go for items as much and i do realize you know those would power me up and maybe help me never get to the terror point where the 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 showdown point but i just didn't see the need with the cycle of actions that i could take right I'm curious, what made you pick the Geppetto episode as the one that you bought? You only bought one. Why was that the one? They only had two in stock at the store. And uh, I can't remember gotcha. what the other one was. Oh, the other one was whatever the easy one was, right? Is that Hans, the butcher? Maybe it's the, the Friday yeah. the 13th one, the guy in the pig mask. I think so. They, I think they say that's the good starter one. So I yeah. thought... I'm not going to start with the starter. You know, I uh, I'm an experienced board game player. (laughs) And I thought, you know, my my brother loves carnival stuff. And I just kind of thought maybe if I like it, I'll, you know, give it to him and and have him try it. But he wasn't really interested in trying it. He's Mm. a lot more into horror themes, too. That's that's why I got it. It wasn't I think had I had more options, I might have gotten the haunting of creech manor or the frightmare on maple lane pretty much any any other one. Oh, you know what uh, it was it was slaughter in the groves that was the other one that was available with Inkanyamba. yeah and i wasn't familiar with that theme yeah that was the only one that i couldn't point to a specific movie that i knew it was referencing to and i'm sure there is one probably probably a good one but i just couldn't figure out what it was but honestly the geppetto one the carnival one was the least appealing one to me of the bunch that I'd seen. And and I theme wise, I just, I don't know. I just don't find that is exciting, but also I think that the rules in that one, because it has some special episode, special uh, Geppetto rules that I found a little bit confusing. Oh yeah. And I don't think that added to the game for my first couple of plays, like the stuff with the puppets. At first I was like, wait, how come I'm not getting attacked? Why do these things keep moving around and not attacking me? And I, I scoured the rules. I kept trying to figure out what am I missing here? And I don't think I was actually missing anything. So I didn't love that. The traps I found to be more of an annoyance than anything else. 
So I went back and got Hans the Butcher, which like I think that's the one that you were that you saying had the um, was most likely the beginner one. It's the one they show in all of like the introduction to this game things. And there yeah. were no special rules in that one. It was basically a brute force kind of he runs around and attacks. And I found that to be a more enjoyable play, partially because of the theme, partially because I wasn't trying to you know, deal with the rules overhead of these odd little special rules like, where does the puppet go? Oh, wait, puppet went too far. He has to go back toward Geppetto. Like, I didn't enjoy that as much. I enjoyed, like, the straight blunt force, uh, so to speak, of the killer just running after me and attacking me. So I thought that made a difference, too, in the experience. And that makes sense to me. I'm happy to hear that you had that same experience because, you know, the game, how long would you say the game takes you to play? Less than an hour. Yeah. How about that first game, though? Was that true or? It took a lot more than an hour because I was doing a whole lot of going back to the rule book going, wait, what? Is that right? Am I doing this? I think that goes into why I didn't like it as much, because I probably spent as much time digging through the rules, trying to see what I was missing, why something, why I wasn't getting attacked, why Mm -hmm. it was sort of easier maybe than I thought it would be. And I didn't find that very enjoyable, unfortunately. But I think I would have gotten the happy trails, the the one, the, you know, summer camp one, if it was there, because that is a theme I'm very familiar with, right? Everybody's, everybody right. knows Friday the 13th. Right. You know, actually, when I got into a couple of games of this, because I think now I have, I played it five times. And to the point you were saying about, you know, how long it took you, by the third time, second, maybe even the second time, I was flying through those turns. Things were moving really quickly. And especially when I played the Hans version, there was none of that extra stuff to deal with with the puppets. And I was just cruising. I was cruising through this thing. I was flipping cards. I was making decisions. I was going, you know, it, it took me two or three minutes to go through an entire round. I thought that made it, once I got to that point, it was a lot more fun. I could I could totally see that. I think that maybe had I stuck through it, maybe I would have understood, you know, maybe after three or four plays of the carnage at the carnival, maybe I would have come around to that one and been like, oh, you know what? I see why this is more of a challenge or why this works this way but i just couldn't i couldn't there's those secret envelopes in there too and oh yeah that's right so that was kind of an interesting thing you know i had beat it and i was excited i looked at it and i thought okay yeah this goes in the the, the, wait does it does it get shuffled in with the items and then maybe you have a chance of getting it or does it start yeah it was i'm trying to remember the one that i got uh i think it was a sledgehammer or some kind of it was some kind of a weapon. Basically, whatever the signature weapon was for that that final girl, once you won a game, you got to open this envelope and you got it and you would shuffle it into the item decks if you were playing with that final girl. Yeah. So at that point, I thought, wow, what a weird secret envelope to have, because mm-hmm. I'm I have to play with this final girl again and then I have to go search enough to maybe find it. You know, I had only gone through maybe four items in my one game. I didn't super love that. I love that. I thought that was so cool. Did you? I okay. thought that was so neat. I loved having that little envelope. It added this little almost legacy game aspect to it. I thought that was fun. I liked it. It seemed cool to me. But at the same time, when I started thinking more and more about it, and I, I just was like, why? Why do I need this? Why would I my i it is powerful it was it looked really nice to use but when will it come will i be able to use it i think okay spoiler of kind of why i have these feelings is because 
I had recently gotten paperback adventures at the time, and I still love playing that game. But when I want to play a solo game, that one just stood out to me. I have a blast every time I play it. I can set it up and take it down, play a whole round within 20 minutes, maybe, you know, pretty quick. If I want to play a whole game, that might take me two or three hours, you know, depending on how far I get. Mm-hmm. And then the end thing, they had a secret envelope in there, too. And that was something that you could just choose to have your character start with. And I thought that okay. was really cool. So I think maybe I felt a little spoiled by uh, paperback adventures. <laughs> well, it sounds like in more ways than one, because you really enjoyed paperback adventures and wanted to keep coming back to it. Yeah. On top of the fact that, you know, it has these special items you were talking about. Yeah. And so I kept drawing similarities, you know, parallels and saying, oh, this is so close to kind of what they're doing. But I like what paper and they're totally different games, by the way. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. had I not got them so close together, maybe I would have been more into Final Girl. If I got Final Girl first, maybe I would have liked that one more. Maybe if I got Happy Trails, you know, that one, maybe I would have gotten that. There's just so many like maybes to it. But because of my first experience into it, I just it got dampered a little, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what you're saying there is kind of like the story of any game. It's that if you play it once and you don't love it, there's too many games out there. Are you going to keep going back to it? I mean, that's kind of like the whole, you know, the shtick of our podcast at Board Game Hot Takes is, you know, you're trying a game once. If you love it, you're probably going to go back to it if you have a good experience. If you don't have a good experience, you're probably going to say, there's too many other good games out there I could be playing. Why would I waste my time? And that's exactly what it came down to is I kept wanting to play it and I would have time to play it. I would start to go grab it and then I would put it down and just be like, I would rather actually play nothing. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That is a a scathing (laughs) indictment of any board game. I'd rather play nothing than play this game. (laughs) Uh, But I, I feel bad saying that to a, to a point. And sometimes I did. Sometimes I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to put the energy into playing this again. And since my mind was a little invested in playing it, I I just won't change my mind here. You know, like I won't change games. Uh, I honestly think the game could be great. I think it could be an amazing game. I maybe one day I I didn't want to invest 20 more dollars to go buy another feature. Right. Mm -hmm. Just to maybe like it more. But, you know, that's that's me. I, I will say my absolute favorite thing were were they called events? Yes. Oh. Yes. The event cards. I know what you're going to say, but go, go ahead. Huh? <laughs> the event cards are so good. So at setup, you draw one of these event cards and it kind of impacts your whole game. I, I know I looked through a couple of them, but the one that I played with, I thought, wow, this is so neat. I flipped it over and it says, the person at this location is a werewolf and they're going to try and hunt down either you or the villain and attack them. And if they end up in the same space as a civil uh, as a uh, victim, right, then they might get attacked. And so there were all these little things of, oh, no, this is this is crazy. And so sure enough, you know, I I switched that yellow meeple out with the I don't know what color blue meeple, red. Yeah. Meeple, I don't know, whatever color it was. And then for the rest of the game, and you couldn't fight the werewolf back. So no matter what, it was there for the entire game. And so that was a little bit more of an obstacle where sometimes I had to avoid ending in the same spot as the werewolf. I thought that was 
fascinating. It did add a little bit more overhead. I would sometimes finish the whole round, start my next round and then be like, oh, I didn't finish. I, I forgot yeah. to move the werewolf. Yeah. And then I would move him and and it would be fine. You know, like for the most part, it didn't really change anything when I forgot it. I, I could catch it up. I could, you know, without impacting the game, really. Right. But I loved that. And I wanted more events to come up. And I know that there's certain scenarios where more events do come up, right? I think so. Generally, I, I think where they come into play, there is one that gets revealed, if I'm remembering right, when the bloodlust track on the killer, which is kind of like their power track, every time they kill a victim, their bloodlust goes up. I think one gets triggered at some point in there. And that's also one of the things that happens on the terror cards. You can have the movement, you can have attacks, you can have an event that gets drawn. I thought they were so fun too. The ones I had, I didn't have the werewolf. I didn't see that one, but that one sounds like a hoot. The ones I had, I had one, it was like the little sibling. And it was the comment on the card, the flavor text was like, why are you always following me? Like it followed, you know, the sibling followed to the, the carnival and then it, it gave you some uh, additional ability. Another one was the, the fiance. You could send the fiance off to like get killed and do damage to the the villain, but then your terror would go up more than if a regular victim was killed because, of course, this is your fiance. Another one had a a golf cart. This one actually, I remember if the golf cart was in Geppetto or Hans the Butcher. I think it was Geppetto. You had a golf cart that you could use to move these victims around, and if you wanted to, you could abandon it by thro basically throwing it this golf cart at the villain. And you lose the golf cart, but it does like three damage. So it's a fun little thematic touches like that in the event cards. I thought were a, were a blast. I love that. That sounds like Happy Trails to me. Like, right? Because yeah, it it's was. a summer camp. You can yeah. see a golf cart around there. Though you yep. could see that at a carnival too, maybe. Either way, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Are there many things that can mix? I know that you could use any final girl with any villain, right? Yes. What I saw was that there is there are three things you can mix. You can mix any scenario, any villain, and any final girl. And for the scenarios and for the villains, each one has its own little deck of cards. And they, they come together in the, the package for that scenario. But they do have symbols on them so that you can look and see. Like, so you don't have to read the card. It'll show like a little pig mask or whatever for the Hans one. And so you can just flip through them and separate those out so that you just you shuffle them in together at the end of the, or excuse me, at the beginning of the scenario and then separate them out at the end so that you've always got them separated out. Honestly, I'm not even sure that I would feel like I needed to do that kind of mix and match too often. I kind of liked having the villains living sort of in their native, their native movie habitat. So I thought that was kind of fun, but for replayability, it certainly would help to have that kind of variability, which actually reminded me a lot of Cthulhu death may die where it's the same sort of thing. You pick a scenario, you pick a villain, and then you pick your character. So I think something that they've done in a lot of those kind of adventure games, a lot of times co-op games, that it adds to the fun and the replayability. I think we've talked a lot about the mechanisms and the theme. I mean, all that goes mm -hmm. in together. Is there anything else you want to say before we move to the marriage between them? I do want to say one thing about the mechanisms because I'm sort of, I'm trying to measure what I'm saying for the big reveal of like my ultimate feelings on this game. I did not love all the mechanisms. Like I said before, when we were talking about the, whether or not you were finishing your terror cards or whether or not you felt like you were really in jeopardy for a lot of the game, I felt like there were a lot of things in there that were a, a little bit, a little bit clunky, like the card play 
I enjoyed the card play overall, but I thought that every round having to figure out what card you wanted to buy for the next time, there was some fun to that, but it also felt a little bit unthematic and it pulled me out of the story just a little bit. I'm not sure what the fix is to that. I'm not a game designer, so maybe that was the best that could be done. But I found that I, I didn't love that. There was also nothing about the mechanisms here that made me go, this is just so exciting. Yeah, it didn't feel that novel to me. It was the theme, I think, that made it most enjoyable. Like, I thought the mechanisms were fine. It was the theme that made it shine. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think that was one of the things that felt a little anticlimactic. But funnily enough, last night while I was trying to kind of rack my brain about this and write up some notes, I got to the marriage between theme and mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And I realized that you know, starting off with these very weak attacks, you're scared, you're, you're not used to this murderer. But as the game goes on, you've adapted, and you're able to kind of build up your attacks. But when you play a card, you exhaust it, it's not available the next round. So if I run one round, I'm going to need to recover next round. And and then the next round after that, I'll get that card back in my hand, and I can run again. There's those little things that I did feel actually when I thought more and more about it, it did tie fairly nicely together, though. Maybe, you know, it's the whole time using your time to buy bigger actions. That does right. feel kind of thematic of, oh, I've, I've got six time, whatever that equals, you know, six minutes, six, uh, six hours. Right, right. It is. <laughs> it's abstract. It's an abstract representation of time. Yeah, exactly. I've got six times and <laughs> and I'm going to spend five of them to get this one action that lets me really punch the murderer right in the face really hard if I can roll right. Well, and that was a nice thing is, you know, if even if you rolled wrong on a lot of those bigger ones, uh, you still inflicted something. You still did something, but it could have been right. And so I do think that theme kind of comes through there, but it's not. It, it feels more subtle. Like I, you know, months later, now here I am thinking about that specifically. And I started off thinking like, I really didn't feel like the theme came through in the mechanisms a lot of the time, but it actually kind of was. And, you know, rolling for success, how successful is it going to be? Because if you, you know, if you're trying to trip the big villain, is it going to work? Are they too strong? Are they, you right. know, like, Will my trap, will my attack work? Will my me hiding work? It, mm -hmm. it, it kind of, it came through. And I didn't love the dice rolls at first, but I kind of come around to it. There were ways to mitigate the dice rolls with some of those cards. I don't know. Those are some of my weird, vague thoughts to the marriage between <laughs> mechanisms, but <laughs> agreed, cool. agreed. I, you know, I, I think you're right. I think it was there was a mix there because some of that stuff is debatably thematic, you know, the time stuff. But again, I don't know, you know, I don't know what you do that's better. But I did think it was thematic having the concept of like the terror track that the more terrified I'm feeling right now, and of course, the things that are happening throughout the game, you'll lend themselves to, well, of course, you're more terrified if you just got attacked by a villain. And the more terrified I am, the less likely I'm going to be able to do successfully whatever it is I'm trying to do. So I get fewer dice to roll. The, the bloodlust, the more kills that the killer gets, the crazier they're going to get and the more, you know, it's frightening they're going to be. Those kind of things I thought were highly thematic and exciting. The event cards, the thing with the golf cart and the werewolf and all that, that was all highly thematic and exciting. And one of the things that I thought was 
a real highlight that was just super fun was, and it was such a simple thing, but it's so right on point for anybody who's a fan of horror movies that there's a little chit at the bottom of the track, the health track for both the final girl and for the villain. And when you die or the villain dies, you flip that chit over and basically it tells you, do they come back to life or do you come back to life to fight one more, you know, one more time, you know, because everybody knows that's what happens. You know, you kill all, you kill the killer. And then the next thing you know, they jump up out of the lake or whatever, and they attack back. So I thought all those little touches were great mechanisms that also had, you know, the highly thematic aspect. Another complaint that I had, which was maybe not so much the thematic mechanisms, but it was something you had mentioned before. And it occurred to me as we were talking was the potential loopiness of some of these things. Like you got in this loop where it's like, okay, back away, then I come in and attack, back away, then come in and attack. I had a bit of a loop, but it was a different loop and it had to do with the cards, which is why I just thought of it. But there was one card, I think it was called like the improvised card. And what it let you do was treat every four and five, no, sorry, every three and four as a five or six, because five or six were success. Threes and fours, were successes if you discarded cards in order to turn them into successes. And you can go through a lot of cards that way. And this let you basically have a three, four, five, or six was a success. And there was two of those cards. So every round, I would save enough time so I could get an improvised card for the next time. And then the first thing I do each round is play that improvised card, trade up so that I could get a success on, on that one. And then for the rest of the round, I was succeeding in almost everything I was doing. And then I would just redo that same thing for the next round. I would try to you know, get that improvised card and then use it, et cetera, et cetera. So it does seem based on what we kind of both said here, there's a potential for some loopiness that might be a little unsatisfying if you played it multiple times. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. You know, even if you're exploring the other cards, there's still that because improvise. Yeah, that was one of the big ones for me, because then you can use that to do what there was like a what was it? Is it prep card or something where you can buy time? If you roll for every yeah. success, you get an extra time or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So like combine that with the improvise sometimes and it can right. go up pretty high and it's clever. You could find clever uses for those cards to combo off of each other. Yeah. But once you found once I found what I liked, I just kept with that combo, right? Like, yeah. That's how I'm going to win the game. And that's on me, honestly, to a certain extent of my competitiveness of being like, <laughs> damn the theme here, you know, like I damn the story. I am just going to win this. And that's what I want to do. And I think I missed out because I did that to a certain extent. But I think that's a fair criticism. You shouldn't have to go into a game saying, well, I'm not going to play to the highest of my ability. I'm going to play for the thematic purpose. I mean, you know, maybe that's OK, but it shouldn't be something that you go into a game thinking, well, okay, I, I could win this game, but instead I'm going to do something that's more fun. Yeah, that's fair. That's a yes. I agree. There we go. I Those are my thoughts on it. I, yeah, I like the bloodlust. You brought that up. I do love mm -hmm. that because, you know, you start off the movie and you're starting kind of where the, the villain has appeared. They're not close to you. You know, we're panning over to a different part of the area and seeing the killer kill some random person and working their way towards you possibly and and i do feel and as they kill more all of a sudden they become more deadly and they become yeah. more present in your life in your uh in your area and you're likely to see them more and they might get you <laughs> that did feel very thematic as i think more about that so i, I yeah bro i like that i just 
I never really got my tear track low enough to where I think I had gone down to one dice at one point and I was like, no, I can't do that. I'm not I, I'm not cool with this. So my focus <laughs> became getting it up to the three die part, you know, did three yep. dice part. And and from then on, I was like, no matter what happens, I will always commit to getting keeping that at three. Yep. Because the three dice are crucial to my success. Yep. Totally did the same thing. Exact same. OK, thing. yeah. Did you ever feel like three dice was too much? No, I never felt like it was too much, but I did okay. feel like I had that same phenomenon of, am I getting into a loop here that, okay, I know every time I've got to make sure that I do whatever I do to get, hey, I got to use that improvised card, but I also need to make sure that I'm taking an action to get my dice back up to three. So that that was one of those things that I didn't love because of the loopiness. That was, that was another example of that. All right. Well, is there any other theme and mechanisms ties that you want to bring up? No, I'm ready to jump into the, the production here. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about let's the production. It. So components, the aesthetic, artwork, all that stuff. Let's let's dive into that. You yeah. and I, I think this is a very important part of a of our gaming experience. Yes, absolutely. For a second, I thought, why did I save this for the end? Oh, yeah, because it's my personal favorite part or one of my favorite <laughs> parts. <laughs> Positives, negatives. I, do you want to start? I, I'll be happy to start. I have some big thoughts on this one and it's a huge swing in, in both directions, actually. Okay. So the art in this game, I think is wonderful. I love the pictures. I love the, the style. It's kind of cartoony, but not too cartoony. So it feels like, you know, good comic book art, I would call it. And I really enjoyed that. I liked the pictures of the killers. They were appropriately dark. I liked the dice with these nice big chunky dice. They had these special uh, you know, symbols on them, which I thought were fun. I liked the cards. They were the action cards were simple, easy to read. The iconography was very manageable. One thing that I, I we can't talk about the production without talking about the board concept, though. So in each of the episodes the scenario board, so Camp Happy Trails or the Carnival or whatever, is part of the box. And it's attached by a magnet, and it's it's very nice. You flip it off, and then it, the box becomes the play board. And the same thing for the killer. There's a killer board that is the other side of that box. And so you're basically taking the box apart to make the game. I thought on the one hand that was sort of brilliant. I thought it was really cool because talk about efficiency. But I had a huge problem with what that does to the overall experience of the game. To me, this game is so much about the theme in the production that I want to see this thing with big minis out on a table in giant format. And uh, I'm going to point to Nemesis again as a great example of where the, the production really pulls you into that theme. Here, you're playing on a board that's roughly the size of a paperback book cover. And that actually kind of hurt the game for me. I thought that this deserved a bigger production. And the same thing with the characters. There's a bunch of meeples in this one. And the base game, there's a meeple for everything. Now, I went out and I splurged to get, I was like 25 bucks, I think, to get the minis. And the mini, you actually get a mini for the final girl. Each one has an individual sculpt. And you get a mini for each killer. And there's an individual sculpt for each of those. You still have your your generic victims or all these little yellow meeples. But I found that when I was playing with the meeples, it was so much less fun because the overall cinematic experience was lost partially because of the small board and then partially because 
I don't know, I just can't get passionate about moving this little red meeple who's supposed to be a killer around the board when I know how cool he's supposed to look. And I want, and I can have that mini. So I felt like it added a lot buying the minis, but I just felt bummed out that it didn't get a bigger treatment. And I will compare this to two games where I've had that same complaint. One is One Deck Galaxy, which I talked about a little bit on our show recently on Board Game Hot Takes. I felt like you know, the whole point of that game was to have a small production for a game with a lot of big stuff happening inside it. I felt like the small production ended up creating a lot of, you know, drain some of the excitement. Another one that we actually did a full review on was Age of Galaxy. So I guess both Galaxy games. Uh, Age of Galaxy, where it's this pretty fun 4X game packed into this tiny little, tiny little container. I mean, it's the size of a few decks of cards. And the game itself was actually quite fun. But in a game, you know, 4X is supposed to be an epic experience. And to have that packed into a little box, I felt like the smallness of the production actually took a lot away from that game. Now, my co-host totally disagreed. They thought that, you know, the game was awesome. Who cares if it's small production? That's great. You can stick, stick it in your pocket or whatever. It, to me, I didn't feel that way. And I thought this game suffered from the same thing. Just to comment on that. I bought Age of Galaxy because of how much you all raved about it. And I, I do agree. It's nice that it can fit, you know, take up a small amount of space. And for what it is, the production on that is really good. Like yeah. plastic ships, you know, the, just the different components on there. It, it worked okay for it. I do agree, though. If you like blew that thing up, oh, the game's phenomenal. Like I, I could see a bigger version of it. But it also, I don't know that, on that one, making it bigger necessarily would make it too much better because you've got those cards that you flip over and, yeah. and what kind of becomes of that? I don't know. Wait, this yeah. is a different game. Yeah, whole, whole different concept. <laughs> I, at first, I was going to say, I'm glad somebody else agrees with me. Then you started not agreeing with me anymore. And I'm like, oh. No, but I'm torn between <laughs> it because I do love a good production. And I, I think it has a great production for what it is. But there's also that part of me that wants more, you know, that. Yeah. So I totally get that. Okay, so with this one, right, you mentioned taking apart the, you have to take off the book cover, the game covers on both sides. So then it does have the card tray, so you could just take those out. But if you didn't, then that would just fall out anyways. So that, to me, was a little bit weird. Felt like fiddly. I didn't super love that. I also, being OCD, the way the boards go is, so you have like your book cover your game cover, and then it wraps around the spine. And so it's very nice looking. But then you lay that down and it is almost impossible to get that to lay flat. And that's <laughs> that's telling you <laughs> that's telling you above it what goes there, right? Your item cards and whatnot. Ah, that drove me nuts. It, absolutely nuts. I hated that. It, it just... <laughs> I just wanted it to lay flat so that I could put those cards right above it. But I kind of had to position them a little bit differently. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever, I guess. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, you're not crazy. I felt the same way. I'm like, just lay it down. Okay, lay down, good. stupid box. And at, in the end, I just kind of said, the heck with it. I don't care. It'll lay flat or it won't lay flat. I'll just, you know, it'll be like a little dashboard for me, kind of popping up so I can see what I'm looking at. But I, I, I totally get it. Thanks for helping me feel valid there because it, yeah, it drive it drove me crazy. And sometimes I would like try and put the decks on top of it so that it would maybe hold it down a little bit, but there's not really room for that because 
then you're covering what those locations are for where the items all that yeah yeah yellow meeples these meeples are not remarkable and anyways i don't i don't know what their figure is supposed to be like is it just somebody in a dress is it i don't know i like it's a meeple generic meeple yeah like but it doesn't even have the legs right that's true you're right it's just kind of this triangle with arms and a head i guess i don't I hadn't noticed that, but you're right. They they don't have legs yet. I don't think they're all supposed to be women. Yeah. And and, and that would be kind of, you know, gender biased if they were assuming that women were always going to wear skirts. So, yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't I felt like that was weird. I I don't know what else you could have done there to make the meeples any more interesting cuz you wouldn't want I mean, you, maybe you would want little a bunch of tiny little miniatures of random citizens, right. civilians, but that's a lot of extra components and extra plastic that the game probably doesn't need need. But, you know, like, yeah, the yellow meeples just felt kind of empty to me. Maybe they should have all had their arms raised in terror. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe like dirty them up or something. Maybe if you even if they just added made it yellow with like brown well i don't know if that would be visually appealing. <laughs> like you know like dirt <laughs> hmm, simulated dirt i like where this is going i don't know blood splatter on them or something just to make yeah, it there look, you go yeah like make it look more thematic rather than just these yellow wood blocks on the i don't know right might as well have just had cubes so yeah and then the same thing especially with you know the the killer which is a red plain old meeple and the final girl which is a plain old purple meeple unless you buy the minis yeah and i almost did when i bought the game because i anticipated liking it so much and they had the minis there and they had the book the kind of scenario book where you can read like a kind of a story as you play through it i don't know exactly i didn't get it but that seemed kind of interesting to me i do agree the item cards look great the character art most of them look great. Some of them look a little off-putting to me or like like the characters don't quite mix with like the final girls specifically mm. don't quite mix with the backgrounds of the art or the huh. the overall theme of it. I, for me, oh, it just felt a little off. OK. And then the action cards, the fronts of those are just, you know, straightforward you read what they are. They don't have any actual like aesthetic to them. Uh, They're they're pretty bland, but maybe you wouldn't want art on that too much. But part of me kind of wanted a little something. I don't know. I think they sacrificed fun art for clear iconography. There was my take. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you added much to it, it probably would take away from it. But it yeah, they were your actions. You just played the action and then you did it. And so maybe maybe not needed. Yeah, the hearts were great. I loved that. I think that was fun. They're little wooden hearts for your health tokens. The chip to determine whether you come back. That's great. There's there's a lot of good things. The dice to me felt almost a little cheapy, but I don't know. Maybe really? that's just in my memory. Huh? No, I mean, I, they were big. They were big. They were hefty. They had those little symbols on them like a star for a hit and cards for if you had to discard a card to use the action that kind of thing it's not super exciting but they were not just standard you know six pip guys 
Yeah. But again, why not like ads make them white dye with blood splatter or I don't know, like you could you could spice up your dice a little bit. I that's again, fair. not necessary, though. That one definitely not. But yeah, I maybe I would have even liked it more with the miniatures. I don't know. You know, one thing that I do want to point out that I actually want to give them kudos for was that, I mean, this is a game where all of the main characters on the player side are all women and the art was not at all. I didn't think, and you know, I'm a guy, so maybe I don't see things that are there sometimes, but the art did not appear to me to be sexualized at all. I thought it was very good straight. It looked like, you know, these look like people who had been in a fight, you know, they weren't wearing, you know, revealing costumes or anything like that. I just thought that was a nice treatment in a game where they could have gone so wrong in that, you know, having this all female character set. And I think they did a pretty nice job with that. I agree, too. That surprised me. I think especially in the horror genre, where a lot of the times they do have like a sexualized woman presented, yep. you know, like there's there's always those scenes. And uh, yeah, they didn't take that route. And I think that's awesome that they just made some awesome, strong looking, cool characters. I wouldn't want to mess with them. No, not at all. It's a good thing you are them. <laughs> 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 is there anything else aesthetically i think we covered it yeah and like i like the artwork i really do but for whatever reason the some of the girls just felt like they didn't quite blend in with the mm. the rest but. i'm trying to see that i don't i don't see it but i get i think i get what you're saying yeah it's it's all right it's it's a little thing and even still like if i removed the girl from the art it's like the actual girl art looks great the background looks great, but for whatever reason, when I put them together, it feels like just off to me. But oh, interesting. Hmm. I don't know what it is. This is a weird nitpicky thing, but yeah. That's what we're here for. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, though, yeah, like doesn't doesn't matter. It the it all worked excellent on that part. Uh, all right. Replayability. I do think it has some high replayability. I didn't experience it. Because I felt like I'm just going to get in that same loop. But maybe, you know, like there's the different girls, there's different villains, there's so, but you have to buy right to get some of that replayability. But you can speak to this a lot more than I can. Yeah. I mean, I think that it has replayability because it has that modular setup. So if you like this game, now this all, you know, depends upon whether you like the game in the first place. But if you do like the game, so I'm sort of starting with that as my premise, then you're not going to get bored of it quickly because you have a couple of things you can switch out. You can switch out the final girl and they have slightly different abilities. You can switch out. And this is just within having one base, the base set in one episode, you can switch out uh, the player boards so that you're playing on the super challenging mode versus the not as challenging mode. There's a lot of terror cards that do different things. There's event cards that do different things. So there's quite a few things that can change up and that's not even getting into the feature film part. So once you factor that in, You've got five now and I think another five coming. So you could have 10 different scenarios, 20 different final girls and 10 different killers. So you have a lot of things that you can swap in and out there. And I think that's going to be critical for a game like this that I think leans more heavily on its theme than it does on its gameplay. Something I think this kind of goes to the aesthetic. What about the table presence of or how much space it takes at at the table. I found it taking a lot more space than I anticipated. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that one. It especially for a game where I'm complaining that it doesn't have a big enough board, all those cards laid out, 
<laughs> did take up a lot of space. I didn't love that. Well, yeah, and I think that was the main problem. If it weren't for the shop, I think that was the biggest waste of space almost. I don't know. Like, you needed yeah. that. Yeah. But it just took up so much space for something that you kind of do every month. You do every, the, you know, end of your turn type thing. But Right. It was not a, it was not a high point. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, sorry, I just that just came to my head. I wanted to bring that up. But yeah. So I guess final thoughts here. Would you buy it? Are you keeping it? Who's this for? For you? Are you going to continue to buy more? We'll we'll get to that. I'll start it off. I think that this is for anybody who wants a good thematic solo experience. Don't start with Geppetto. Don't start with (laughs) one. It is so confusing. It put me off and I, I just couldn't bring myself to buy you know, put in another $20 to see if maybe another one is is good. I think the game has some solid things to it. I think it's worth trying and exploring. I don't think I'll buy it again. I already bought it. Mm-hmm. Send it off to you. And it, it wasn't for me. Other games excited me way more, which is so weird to think that paperback adventures right like it's you're playing through a book and playing words it's a word game i like word games but i would have thought thematic riley here being like final girl has a way more exciting theme you know all that stuff but overall i I enjoyed the other better um but i do think this is definitely worth exploring get the one don't don't start with geppetto I, i i am sure that almost any other one would be more interesting and maybe less confusing because of the followers and whatnot. Right. Those are my thoughts. I don't have too many. It, as negative of an experience as it was for me, I thought there were really cool things. The The theme of it really, really comes through in a lot of ways. And I think they, I can, you can tell they put like their heart and soul into this and made a really cool game. But if I could just play with the events... i thought the events were so good i thought that was so fun like uh oh give me a way to like make a mystery or like have a mystery villain so that i you know then it's the generic meeple and then once they reveal who it is i'll be like oh no that's who we're up against you know yeah i don't know there's i think uh, now i'm thinking of all these ways that i would like it uh (laughs) (laughs) the designer you is coming out I know, but anyway, anyways, there. That's my final thoughts, uh, Chris. Let's hear yours. You're much better put, um, <laughs> much <more> elegant. <laughs> no, actually, the more we talk about it, the more I think that our experiences are actually quite consistent with each other. Because I think who this game is for, it's for someone who loves the subject matter. Because in this game, the mechanisms are okay; they're decent. But they're really not exciting in and of themselves. There's some games I play and I just love the way things work. And I don't I almost don't care what the theme is. And so this is not that game. This one is one where if you love the theme, the mechanisms are just as good as they need to be to get you through an enjoyable game session. But they're not going to blow you away. And so really who this game is for, someone who's passionate about horror movies and loves the idea of the theme. So if you think that this sounds like an appealing game, it's probably going to be a fairly appealing game to you. So let, let me set the scene here. When I played this game, it was that my wife was out of town, my son had gone to bed, and I busted this thing out. I turned all the lights off other than like one light over my game table. I fixed myself a drink. I went on Spotify and put on a horror movie kind of soundtrack in the background. And there I am sitting in the middle of the night playing this game. And by the time I was done, 
I was like kind of running up the stairs to my bedroom so that I, you know, cause I didn't want to, you know, the, the, the beast in the closet to come get me. And I love that. I think that's so much fun. And to me, I can overlook some flaws in the gameplay or not even necessarily flaws, but some things about the gameplay that are not inspiring, that they're just meh. I can overlook that because the overall cinematic experience that I had, the thematic experience was so much fun that I almost didn't care. Now, if it had amazing, amazing mechanisms, obviously that would be wonderful, but that wasn't what I was going to this game for. And even though the first game I played, I was kind of like, huh, this is, this is kind of okay. I felt myself thinking about it over and over and over again and wanting to get this game back to the the table, which is why I went out and bought the second episode. I think I'll probably buy at least one more episode. I think that'll be really enjoyable. And I'll see from there if I want to buy even more episodes. I definitely think it helps to go into it with, you know, that kind of like, how can I have fun with this as a thematic experience? I think it helps to get the meeples. I'm not trying to like sell, you know, more product for them. But I really do think that that was something that is almost a necessity for this game. I just encourage anybody who finds that to be an appealing theme to give this one a shot. Now, the thing, again, that I that I found less exciting was the fact that the production didn't lend itself as well to that big thematic experience as it could have. But, you know, at some point, you just kind of have to say, you know, it is what it is. And they're not going to make a big if, if you made a big $200 production out of this one, would I buy it for that? Probably not. So in the end, what I'm left with is a game that had a great thematic feel to it. It had decent mechanisms. and it's something that I could actually set up and play in about an hour, maybe five minutes worth of setup, less than an hour to play the game. And that is a huge spot that is empty in my game collection. I think about a game like Nemesis, which I think is on many levels, a better game. But when I think about playing Nemesis, I'm like, ugh, 20 minutes worth of setup, and it's going to take me a couple hours to play a game. I just don't have the time or the inclination to do that. So even though it's a better game, it's just not going to get to the table as often. This one's quick, it's easy, you knock it out, and it may not give me that huge feel, but it gives me a pretty good feeling and it makes me want to keep going back to it. So, like I said, not a perfect game. It definitely has its flaws, and if you're someone who's kind of mediocre on the theme, you're probably not going to like this game that much. But if you love the theme and you love the idea of an experience more than a straight-up you know, heavy mechanism game, I think there's a lot of fun to be had here. Two follow-up questions. Do you know which one you want to get next? I actually think the next one I would get is one of the expansion ones, which means that they're not actually available yet. But actually, the expansion ones, to me, look even more fun than some of the the ones that are already out there. Uh, Probably the organism is the starring villain in Station 2891, which is a ripoff of The Thing, which is originally, I forget, it was an old black and white horror movie. It was remade in the 80s, starring Kurt Russell. Yeah, John Carpenter, exactly, which is a grotesque movie, horrifying. But it looks like it adds in some fun, funky stuff there, like the like in the movie, the organism in this Arctic station changes over time. It changes from one form to another, and you don't know who the actual villain is. And so it, it there's some cool stuff happening there. And then there's a couple of others. The intruders one that I had mentioned looks like a lot of fun. And then there's another one, and there's a, a big bad wolf one with kind of storybooky that doesn't sound exciting to me. But then the last one, it's called The Ratchet Lady in Wolf Asylum. That one actually, I'm trying to think of the movie that might be. I think that may be more like a video game themed, like a Silent Hill, which I guess they also made a movie out of. 
but it's kind of like a crazy, crazy asylum worker. So all of those are pretty cool. I wish they had led with this one rather than the other, but it'll give me some fun stuff to get when I decide to get that next episode. It'll be interesting to see what they added and how they explore the space of, you know, they already have the system in place. What are they going to do more? Yeah. All right. My next question is, is there a horror movie that you would love to see adapted? Oh, yes, absolutely. The movie I would like to see turned into an episode of this game is Event Horizon. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. Oh, super scary movie. I remember I saw this when I was in law school, and that was at a time when time was at such a uh, a premium that the idea that you might go out to a movie on a Friday night was considered, oh, you're being a little bit irresponsible here. I went to see this movie, and then I stayed in the theater. Right, I paid. But I went to the back and saw the next show right after that one. Basically, it's evil, or it's a spaceship that's meant to do deep space exploration and do space-time folds. The time and space fold that it goes through brings it to some evil dimension and it comes back essentially haunted. So the movie is about the people that go out to supposedly rescue the crew, which, you know, spoiler alert, are all dead now, and being essentially attacked by the ship. Sounds a lot more scary, or it, it sounds a lot less scary than the actual movie was. It's quite a scary movie. But uh, they've actually done, I think, several movies kind of of that same feel, Sense of Sunshine, was a, uh, a great movie that had some of that those same feels. Can't think of any others off the top of my head, but th that concept has been done done a few times, and I think that would make a great episode of this. Nice. I would say Alien, but it looks like they're doing that with the... They are, yeah. Boy, yeah. I have never seen The Babadook, but my wife and I have a joke because of a TV show where a guy is gets too drunk and he's at a party and he starts yelling do not watch the babadook i repeat do not watch the babadook it is far too scary so there's a part of me that's like yeah okay give me a babadook for <laughs> i feel like i should know that movie what's the babadook i honestly i don't even know i i have looked zero into it but we reference it all the time and so there's a part oh. of me that's like should i ever watch this and i hear that it's kind of it's like maybe a low budget horror movie and The Simpsons actually somewhat recently did that in their Treehouse of Horrors. So in really? that one, it's huh. like he's trapped in a book type thing and they read the book oh. and the book is like portraying uh, them and then it possesses somebody and it, it, yeah, like horror ensues. I don't know. OK, uh, well, I got that out to add it to the watch list. <laughs> I don't know that it would work or anything, you know, having not watched it, I literally just want it because of a reference, <laughs> a comedy reference at that. Oh, so. That's all right. It's a Simpsons. It's got to be pretty reliable, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that concludes the uh, final girl. I'm glad we got to chat about that. It's been months. Yeah, that is the final word on the final girl. Well, now that we're done talking about final girl, let's nerd out together. What have you been nerding out about lately? Well, it's funny because I'm actually nerd. What I'm nerding out on right now is largely due to Final Girl. So I'm going to stay totally thematic in my discussion today. It's horror and some modern horror, some old horror, because I started looking at these, these games and I started playing them. And it totally sent me down memory lane, nostalgia, the old 80s horror movies. And I just love horror movies generally. So that's a fun thing to think about. 
But what it gave me the opportunity to do, especially because my wife has been traveling a little bit recently, so I'm able to watch things that she would not be interested in. She hates, hates horror movies. We watched an episode of The X-Files once, and she's like, no, 10 times too scary for me. So I do not watch any horror when she's around. But it gave me a chance to dig into a few things that were a lot of fun. I watched a bunch of old M. Night Shyamalan movies. Uh, I watched a whole season of Stranger Things, so I'm now caught up on that one. I, I'm a little bit behind the times there. I started watching, and actually I think I'm about two-thirds of the way through the season on a show called 1899, which I imagine a lot of people are going to be fairly familiar with. I was actually turned on to it by one of our listeners, I think a joint listener uh, that interacts with both of us, uh, Seth Gonzalez, who had posted a uh, post on Twitter basically saying, save 1899 season one is done and they're not going to renew it for a season two. And I saw the trailer for it after he posted that because I was completely fascinated. The trailer just had me sucked in by the end of that, like, you know, minute and 30 seconds. I'm like, okay, I'm totally down for watching this entire series. And it has been great so far. I'm like on the episode seven and it actually sort of takes me back to that same thematic feel as event horizon. The, the concept here is that there is a, a steamship, apparently, you know, presumably in 1899, that's transporting, uh, transporting immigrants across the ocean. And without getting to any details, a bunch of weird stuff happens and you start wondering, is this a haunted ship? Is this some kind of a, what's the word, supernatural ship? Are they even on a ship at all? This is very strange and it gets into some pretty wild, wacky territory. It's by the the same people who did another show called Dark, which I have not watched yet. And I'm going to have to follow up watching this one afterward. But it, it's just been so much fun going back and digging into some horror and watching some of the old movies that I've, I've enjoyed. I watched um, you know, Friday the 13th. And a lot of that was inspired by Final Girl. And the one thing I would say, if somebody is really interested in like deeply geeking out on the subject of horror, there is a great book. That was done by Stephen King back in, I think it was the either late 70s or early 80s, called The Dance Macabre. And it's really Stephen King talking about what makes horror and what makes it work and about the archetypes that we use to tell scary stories throughout the entire history of humankind. And it's a great read. It feels a little bit dated now because all the references are to movies from that period. So they're talking about Alien like it's a brand new horror movie. It's a great book. And actually, a lot of the concepts in there, I think, are which are quite interesting, were reflected in another one of my favorite horror movies, quasi-horror movie called Cabin in the Woods, uh, which is by Joss Whedon. And it is a kind of mind-bendy, what's actually happening here kind of movie, which I won't say anything else about because if folks are interested and haven't seen it, you don't want to know going in. So that's what I have been geeking out on recently. Cabin in the Woods is up there in favorite movies like not nice. just horror movies that movie because it is yeah just like you said i didn't know what i was going into exactly and oh mind-blowing it was so good i want more movies like that do you have other horror movies like that so ones that are that mind bendy there's that one i think that you know in terms of a little bit more straight horror event horizon another one that's a really under understated movie or not understated it's underestimated it's one you don't hear about very often but it's in the mouth of madness stars sam neill the guy from jurassic park but it's basically an hp lovecraft-esque story where you know unlike a lot of the things you see where they kind of go you know light you know lovecraft light 
he goes all full on Lovecraft heavy with some wacko stuff going on. I won't, it's another one where I won't tell you what's actually happening, but it's one of these mind bendy what's going on here. Is this, is this really happening? Is this not happening? Yeah. It's in the mouth of madness. Another John Carpenter movie, highly recommend it. Watch that in the thing on double feature and you won't be able to turn the lights off for like a week. (laughs) Perfect. I just Googled event horizon, by the way, and it looks like last year they started uh, development on a TV series at Amazon. You're kidding. That's wow. Cool. That was the first thing that popped up for it. I need to look that up. Thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, who knows how true that is? I don't know. That's just the first thing that popped up. But no research other than that. <laughs> well, well, considering that nobody actually does anything new anymore, they just do remakes of older things. It probably is true. Yeah. Yeah. That should be interesting. Oh, cool. So what about you, Riley? What have you been geeking out on? So for me, because I do the show weekly, I always feel like, what's new? What what new things? So I'm going to do kind of a small thing of a board game. And I've only played it once, but Viticulture World, the co-op expansion. Kimmy and I have been playing Viticulture. We got it. I got it specifically because eventually I wanted to get World, but I wanted to try the base game and see if it was something that we might be interested in. And I had never beat Kimmy. She slaughters me every time <laughs> it's not even close ever oh. and so we had some friends over last weekend and i hadn't learned worlds they were patient enough for me i thought you know well i'm sure it's going to be pretty close and it is pretty close but the rules kind of get a little bit weird for a little bit and then it clears up and once we got going everybody understood and they were like this feels like viticulture they they had got viticulture because of us they yeah we showed them that a couple months ago and it it felt very similar and true to the viticulture experience against each other but co-op and i think that i won't go back to verses on it i think i actually like it a lot more i think there's a lot more interesting things in worlds where you can kind of upgrade some spaces you can uh, you have to build your reputation as well as gaining victory points There's a story going on, right? You're flipping through the events and things are kind of progressing. It's just, it's very interesting. I really like it. We've only played the beginner scenario. It was fairly easy. It kind of walked you through a lot of the new stuff in the game, as well as some familiar, kind of restated some of the older stuff Mm -hmm. and why it might be more important in this one. And, And I thought that was cool. I thought... I also liked that it had a set number of rounds. So if you don't get it done, oh, okay. if you don't reach your goal by the end of the game, you're, you know, you lose. So you're fighting and, the clock. Yeah. So you're fighting the clock. I don't know. I, I just am really, really excited to explore that more eventually. I don't know when that'll happen. I, so what I'm nerding about is one playthrough of that, but it's phenomenal. I think it's such a great game. And for me, thematic gamer type thing, right? Of, who thought who would have thought you know thematic riley here being like making wine right that's not exciting (laughs) yeah i I love viticulture too i think it's a great game i am unlike you i am not really a co-op gamer so the viticulture world seems a little bit less appealing to me but i i do believe that it's an extremely well done game and i've heard so many good things about it but you're right i mean it's amazing the things that you can make thematic it's more it's about the quality of the game design almost more than it is about the theme because you can have a game. So I always joke about how, you know, 
my goodness, have we not done enough games about farming in pre-industrial Europe? And yet I've played Agricola not too long ago. And I'm like, wow, the theme ties in so nicely to the gameplay that I can almost forgive that. And so it's amazing when you've got good game design like this and something that's not, you know, wine making, that's kind of unique in games. It can be a real treat. Yeah, I absolutely yeah, I agree. I think that because Tim isn't much of a board game player either. And I feel like on your show, he might have said that he likes he he might he would prefer to play world as well. Yeah, a co-op gamer, I think you mean. You said he's not co-op much of a board game. Oh, sorry. Co- <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah. honestly, Tim is really not that much of a board gamer. <laughs> Tim no, actually hates board games. Off air, he <laughs> just rants about like, I don't know why I do this. I'm just in it for the money, uh, for the fame. That's that's all he talks about. So another so reason Tim- why Chris is the best. Go write a review on there, uh, you know, saying Chris is the best on Apple Podcasts. No, no, actually, T- Tim and Adam are the smart ones on our show. I'm just the color oh, commentary. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for he did say he did talk about it. He did say that he had great fun with it. And he is not really a co-op gamer. So that's a pretty ringing endorsement. I have not tried it yet, but I, I would love to try it at some point. Maybe our next trip up to uh, Portland will bring. Yeah, it. bring we'll it, bring it. All right. Well, I think that's everything. Is there anything else you want to talk about while I got you here before you plug everything? No, I think I'm good. OK, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and plug what you got? All right. Well, I am one of three co-hosts, actually five if you count some of our part-time co-hosts. Tim, Adam, me, Jen, and Steve are all people you might hear on Board Game Hot Takes. And we basically do a show where the idea behind it is we try a game, our first play of it, and then talk about it immediately so you get an idea of how our first play of a game felt right after we played it. The idea being that, you know, if you try a game out and you don't like it, you're probably not going to play it again. So you know, we try to you know, tailor it around the idea of, of the experience of a first-time gamer. And, um, and hopefully we're successful. But you can follow us on uh, Twitter is where we're mostly active, although we now have a Facebook group. You can look us up on Facebook or on Twitter at BG underscore hot takes. Uh, that's actually Tim does the primary work on that account. Adam and I also have accounts as well. You can find us if you're particularly interested in hearing what we have to say about things. I'm at too much enthusiasm. Two is the letter, or the letter, the number two at too much enthusiasm. And you can find our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I, I can't imagine that any of my listeners don't already listen to your show. Because I always say it's one of my favorites. There's two podcasts that I listen to the day they come out, and that's yours and Organized Fun. Like, Aww. so thanks, Riley. I'll drive my wife to work, and then on the way home, I listen to it and while I eat breakfast. It's a great way to start my week. Well, thank you very much. And in the add to the mutual admiration society, I actually don't have much time to listen to podcasts, but yours is one of the very few that I actually listen to regularly. So, Ooh. thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. No, 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 no. Thank you. (laughs) Well, for me, you can follow me at Riled Nerd on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. You could, if you, if you like the show, give it a rating, a review. If you like me doing reviews like this, let me know. Or am I just shouting into the void when I do these? I, I have fun. Either way, it's a good excuse to have people that I like back on the show. And I'll probably still do them even if you don't like them, but (laughs) (laughs) that's the spirit. 
<laughs> maybe there's things that I could do better. Or you think like, oh, I think that's pointless. Why? Or add this. I think this would be worth talking about. Whatever it is. Uh, you know, I'm experimenting here, trying to keep things interesting. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Oh, and go listen to Friend and Foe Adventure Co., the actual play podcast where we play bunkers and badasses, but that's explicit. And so if that's not your thing, don't worry about it. And violence, that's not your thing. Don't listen to it. I'm not a violent person. I don't like guns, but we, this is, you know, we're playing pretend, I guess. And that's an exception. I'm just rambling now. Uh, this is episode 99. So next week will be episode 100. At the time I'm recording this, literally no plans for something special for 100. But I will try and figure something out. Probably by the time you hear this, I'll have something figured out. But thank you, everybody who's joined me on this journey. And thank you, Chris, again, for coming on here. It's always a blast getting to chat, chill with you. A ton of fun, Riley. Thanks for having me on. And until next time, keep nerding out. Woo-hoo.